impact is far and wide in the way that you can live your life with it. And it just takes a little bit of opening yourself up to being educated, more aware. And I think inspired is a huge part of it too, knowing that there are people out there who want to see a better collective future as much as you want to see it as well. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist who is passionate about social impact and sustainability with a goal of making a better, more sustainable future. Every week, I invite you to care a little bit more so that together we can all be better. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by a friend in podcasting who's also itching to make the world a better place, Talia Antoinetta. Talia is a social impact entrepreneur and founder of The Modern Entrepreneur, a business that's committed to helping aspiring social entrepreneurs build and scale sustainable businesses through media and through digital courses. She's also the talent behind the Social Impact Startup Podcast. Talia, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so, so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here as well. I'm thrilled to have you. And I get to talk to another podcaster who's in the space of social impact. I know I couldn't make a decision. So I was like, social impact, sustainability, I'll do it both. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's nice having different aspects of it because I think social impact in general is kind of a broad term, but I think, you know, however you expand from it is how you choose to make your impact. Yeah. And I mean, I've just heard so much from people like Paul Hawken, who works in the regenerative space. I mean, doesn't even like to use the word sustainability anymore and is using regeneration, right? Specifically say that, well, without the environment taking care of all these social impact issues aren't going to matter. And I'm like, well, but at the same time, if we don't address social impact, what's going to happen with the environment? Because if you do something like say, okay, well, we're not going to address inequities in Africa or in other countries around the world or other global continents, even like you go into the East, you go into heck what's happening with war-torn regions and things like that. If you don't address the conflicts, then the people there, guess what? The things that they might do to support a more ecologically friendly lifestyle are just going to be deprioritized because they're dealing with crisis. They're dealing with not having a refrigerator to keep their food fresh. They're dealing with all whatever else. And so they're just going to be a little bit more disposably oriented, right? They're not going to think about their impact on the environment. So I think the two are really kind of inexorably knit. Like we need to think about things like what we're doing to support a regenerative and more sustainable world, even as we're working in an impact space. So I'd love for you to talk about what you're doing specifically with the mod Ultra Noir to help people that are working in this field of entrepreneurship to tackle big changes? Sure. So first off, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you're talking about how these issues are complex. They're intersectional in nature. And there are a lot of different things that have to be considered when you're talking about creating an impact. For me, I suppose I focus specifically on those who are utilizing building a business in order to 
be a catalyst for change. And the reason I went that particular route was because I started my career in the financial industry working on Wall Street, and I kind of witnessed firsthand how business as usual is extremely problematic. And we know that, you know, as a theory, but when you see it in practice, it becomes a little bit less easy to deal with. So I mitigated some career shifts. I switched from being in uh, the financial industry. I worked in the wellness industry for a while, and I had the privilege of working one-on-one with a lot of female founders. Now, at the time, I was still very passionate about business because alongside social impact, I believe in economic empowerment for women. Those are the two pillars of my values that are very strong and what I focus on in everything that I do. And I saw that, you know, I was still inspired by business and women being able to make money. And at the time, I was actually listening to a lot of podcasts. And I found that there was a little bit of a gap in the market where most business podcasts at that time were focused on just profit margins and very male-centric in general. And that's kind of how business has been historically for a long time. But for me, I was firsthand meeting all of these incredible women who were building their own businesses and disrupting industries in their own right. And I was like, where is the space for these women? And why are they not being highlighted, amplified, looked at as leaders? And so I was like, I guess I'll have to do it. I'll have to start a podcast that really highlights these incredible founders. And that was initially where I started. And the podcast has proven to be, for myself and for others, a source of inspiration and also a place where you are able to figure out how to take action in different ways. We feature founders from various industries. No two founder has been the same. And it really gives some insight into the fact that impact is far and wide in the way that you can live your life with it. And it just takes a little bit of opening yourself up to being educated, more aware. And I think inspired is a huge part of it too, knowing that there are people out there who want to see a better collective future as much as you want to see it as well. Well, you've touched on a few subjects that I've highlighted on my show. One of them specifically being that female businesses don't get the kind of funding, female-run businesses don't get the kind of funding that male-run businesses do. It's something like between 2 and 4%, depending on, as far as the VC-funded businesses out there. Presently, I think the statistic from October of last year was that 6% of CEOs in Fortune 500 companies are women. That was up from 4 where it had been hovering for the last like 20 years, right? So like we hadn't made progress as much as we talked about making progress, right? Yeah. And something like only 24 to 26 women have ever in the history of the stock exchange taken a company public. If you're looking at NASDAQ and, you know, US stock exchange. Now, I'm not sure if that's different when you go to Norway, where 50% of CEOs are women. I'm sure it's different there on their stock exchange. But when we're talking about US... It's kind of terrible. (laughs) It really is. And I have had the honor of interviewing founders who have been in venture capital spaces raising funds. 
And they say the same thing. You know, it's really tough to raise money as a female founder because, and this is a quote that is not mine. And actually, I can't even attribute to the person who shared it with me, but apparently it's highly circulated in the startup community. And it's stuck with me because women are judged on progress and men are often judged on promise. And so as women, we have to do so much more in order to even be considered for the same opportunities that oftentimes can be expected for men. And not saying that people are not earning their opportunities or whatnot, but the system is rigged as we see. The data points are there. And so the reason I focused on women building businesses is because, you know, for multiple reasons, the economic empowerment is a huge part. The second thing is, especially as we went into the pandemic and we saw how deeply affected every single person on this planet has been from the pandemic. But when we look at the progress of women in their careers having to give up so much more in order to care for their families at that time, it just proved to me that you know, there are a lot of barriers that exist and will continue to exist. You know, 6% while that is growth is really a meager number of women leading, you know, companies. And so there's so many barriers that are currently in place that I personally feel like entrepreneurship is the realm where women can get their power back. They can decide how much they're going to be paid. They're not going to have someone tell them, no, you are not worth that much because someone will pay your rate for your knowledge, your experience, etc. They can build a business that's successful and they can excel. But I feel like entrepreneurship is the way that you can do all of those things while also navigating all of the other things that women want to have in their lives. And that includes families. And we talk about you know, there's that common phrase that's thrown around on social media where we talk about weaponized incompetence, where like men <laughs> and families will pretend to be just kind of like dumb or do tasks in ways that are they know are wrong in order for women to just take on not only the mental load, but also the household load of raising a family and also trying to have a career and have a life. And I think that while navigating all those gender norms and all that stuff that comes with being a woman in today's society, that entrepreneurship, specifically social entrepreneurship, is a way for you to have power, have flexibility, and also make an impact in the world. Well, I can't agree more. I've never heard the term. I'm sorry, what did you say again? Weaponized incompetency? Yes, weaponized incompetence. And honestly, <laughs> I have to figure out who to attribute it to, but it's like, all over TikTok. You know, you see all these TikToks. It was Talia Antoinetta. <laughs> she said, <laughs> I can't own it. I can't own it because it's definitely been popularized by somebody. Maybe it was a therapist or something on TikTok. Okay. But it's something that even as myself, and I don't have children, but I was in a long-term relationship and I noticed that too, where I had to take on so much because there are, unfortunately... <laughs> A lot of people who, instead of having a partner, they want another mother. We're, you know, they're leaving the socks in the hallway, not doing the dishes, you know, all that stuff. Not doing the dishes. I hear you. It's, you know, and it's like having to navigate all of that on top of trying to build your career and do all of it's just like, 
I feel like social entrepreneurship in general allows for you to have more flexibility and space in order to navigate all these barriers in the household and in the workplace, I feel. Okay. So I have a very progressive husband. I'm lucky in that. I do have two boys, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, right? And they're quite demanding. Thankfully, my husband does, I believe, carry an equal load. But there are even some ways in which, you know, it's always just assumed that I take care of it. And I think that this is endemic because we think about things as women's work in some way. And even, you know, you can't erase that generationally. My husband's 10 years older than me. He grew up in a time when women took care of the grocery shopping and women took care of, well, he does the laundry. So we've divided that up, right? But like a simple thing, like I needed a break and he actually said to me, I'm not the nanny. I'm like, that's right. You're the dad. You're the dad. (laughs) (laughs) Another time he said, I'm not the babysitter. I'm just like, no, it's called parenting. And so, you know, like (laughs) these are the sorts of things that creep in. And we use language, I think, to describe where we're at in this world. But it also communicates so much when something like that is even something that could be said. Like, I would never have thought to say to my husband, I'm not the nanny, you know, like you can't order me to do this or you can't take your break this way because, you know. I haven't had my time or whatever, you know, it's just not something that would ever cross my mind. And I have somebody who I believe truly does share the load somewhat equally, but I'm in charge of care. I've always found the care for our our children to get a date night or to be able to work or whatever. I'm generally speaking in charge of their health care. And this is common across like all intersections of people in the United States where women tend to be more responsible for things like the care, the nutrition, and also the medical care. So medical care, food, and just house care in general. And so as we, I think, work to disrupt this and work to re-envision what women's work is, I wonder what you're doing through your podcast and also through the community you're running to help and kind of bridge that so that we're kind of moving into a new spot where guess what? There's going to be companies like Enigma Ventures that are funding women-run businesses that are minority-owned in South and Eastern Africa, featured Sarah in a few episodes ago. And other individuals like that who are kind of breaking through the so-called glass ceilings so that we can all kind of reach a similar level of success and respect in the world of business. Mm -hmm. I think it starts with just an awareness that there are individuals who are currently doing this. Because I think as you mentioned and as we've discussed, because business has been attributed to kind of that stereotypical, you know, mid 50s white male, that's like what people picture when they think of running a successful business. And I think it starts with knowing that there are other individuals out there who are doing the same thing and increasing your awareness and your perspective. That's initially what we're starting with the podcast is proving that there are people out there, diverse women from very different backgrounds, different industries who are disrupting, but at the same time, building profitable ventures while creating an impact in one way or another. And I think that's initially where it starts. And that's one way we're creating an impact. Another way is, you know, just overall education and inspiration is a big part of our mission is 
showing people that it can be done, but also helping them to take action. So we actually built out a, I say we as just a kind of common thing, but I built out (laughs) Uh, <laughs> take credit. This is also part of the <laughs> humble nature of women running businesses. It's a we effort. It's not a me effort, right? Like, because it's something we're kind of taught all, I think, along in our lives. Like, oh, well, don't just pat yourself on the back too much. That means you're an egomaniac, right? Like, we is a more humble way to approach it. That is a very, very good point and something that I need to take out of my language. But it is, <laughs> we're talking about that internalized kind of like patriarchal misogyny ideas, misogynistic ideas about women and their roles. And so you have to be humble. Otherwise you are discredited, right? A lot of the times people don't like confident women and not everybody. I love confident women. I'm like, you go. But like, there are so many people who are unfortunately insecure and are intimidated by other strong, empowered women. And so part of also going the distance is being able to mitigate that and figure out when do I get the okay to be confident? And, you know, I think it is problematic because we as women, and I've talked to a lot of women on my podcast about this specific issue. And one woman who's had incredible accolades behind her name, and she downplays it all the time because of the stigma that comes with touting your accomplishments as a woman. And instead of people cheering you on, they're trying to push you down. And it's unsettling because it's so common. And I think a lot of the times some people are just not aware that they have those kind of gendered biases when talking about women's accomplishments and men's accomplishments. But to touch back on what I created was I, you know, kind of I work in consulting and I help businesses as well. And so I built out a digital course, which is also entitled The Social Impact Startup, which is just a digital course that's kind of a foundational like eight section course that kind of allows you to take a nice idea that you have and be able to start implementing it into action whether that is a business or it's just a passion project or whatever it may be, it helps you kind of clarify and solidify what is important to you and how you can go ahead and make that into actionable change. Well, I love that. And the thing that I am reminded of is the interview I just did on your podcast where you asked me specifically if I was to give a tip to somebody about how to be an entrepreneur. And one of the things that I thought about that I didn't share was specifically that when you're inspired, burnout is something that isn't really kind of there. It doesn't tend to cloud you and bring you down the same way. And so I think when you really get your purpose and central frame of what you're doing, and it sounds like that's what you're trying to do with this class, that you're able to you align your vision and your work with your purpose And now you are inspired. You've got a spring in your step. Getting out of bed in the morning to go to work isn't the same as when you were just clock punching before, right? Not to say that you were clock punching before, but maybe you just weren't living your purpose the same way. And so I want to hear you talk a little bit more about that. Let's dig deeper. Okay, great. Yeah. So I will say that being inspired is a huge part of being able to take action. I've definitely, and 
part of what I love about my podcast is on the days and being a business owner is no easy feat, right? And everybody thinks that just because you're doing something that is purposeful and you love it doesn't mean you're going to have off days. And I actually have experienced this in the past few days where I was feeling, you know, just a little tired and, you know, not wanting to do the work, right? There are some days where you're just a human being and you want to take a day off. And obviously, you should always rest and take care of yourself. And so I kind of took a few days to really recharge. But what really lights my fire every single time is when I interview other women who are doing incredible things. And it really inspires me to keep going because it's a reminder that you're not alone. And I know we touched on that in the podcast we just recorded on mine about this element of community that is so important when you're building anything, when you're living your life. And we've kind of, as a society, become very individualized, right? We forget about the collective. And I think that mindset has also led to a lot of problems that we experience today with you know, climate change and everything, not being able to get on the same collective page about the issues that we all face and being able to tackle it unanimously unfortunately. And I know that there's a lot that goes into that. But, you know, being able to recognize that there is a community out there, that there are people who are really aspiring to do good is a great reminder when you feel overwhelmed by the world and feel like, oh my God, like, (laughs) you know, and especially with everything that we're facing in modern times, like even throughout the pandemic. And now we're seeing with the invasion of the Ukraine, you know, it's just, there's so much and it helps kind of recenter you so that you're able to actually take action. Because another big point that I want to say is that, you know, without taking care of yourself and having that stability in yourself and feeling inspired, you're not going to be able to actually take action in the way that I feel you would feel best doing so, right? Right. I mean, ultimately, you're dampening yourself when you're not taking care of yourself. Like, I mean, I just make an effort to get outside every single day. And I'm glad that I'm in California. I know you're in LA. I'm up in Santa Cruz. So getting outside on the daily isn't that complicated. It's not going to be freezing, biting cold ice storms in general, right? Like it's chilly this week. There's frost on the ground and I'm complaining. But (laughs) last week it was sunny and beautiful. It felt like spring. So, you know, we have these moments where we're able to get outside, ground ourselves, think about, you know, what we're doing with our lives and are we living our truths or what can we do differently just as a common practice, as something we integrate into our daily lives. And I love what you did there. You checked in with yourself. You said, I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm just too taxed and I need to take a break. So often, I think as women, especially when you're talking about juggling mom life and work life or not even mom life, just work life responsibilities, what's expected of me, I have to show progress and not promise. I have to take care of all of these things if I want to ladder climb and be considered for that VP role I'm shooting for, if I want to go and apply for that CEO job and actually get it, I'm going to have to have shown all of these things in my laundry list. And I, so I can't stop. I must go, go, go. And I think that's especially what the driven people like myself, and I think like yourself as well, confront. It's hard to even just stop for a minute and take a breath and say, okay, I need me time. And this me time is going to be longer than the hour lunch break 
and maybe it wasn't a planned vacation, but I'm going to take a personal day and no, it's not because I have COVID. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just say that I had to learn the hard way with that, where I got to the point of utter burnout in both my professional and personal life that I felt like I was backed into a corner. And I will attribute me having the privilege also to be able to seek out therapy and be able to kind of dissect myself as a person, how I operate in the world has really been super insightful in giving me that self-awareness where when I can tap into myself, when I can trust my gut, listen to my gut, when I can, you know, just know what is the right decision and what's the wrong decision and when to tell, say no. And I think that's, I mean, we live in a capitalist society where we're always chasing something else, right? And so when you're a driven individual, it's hard to detach from that sometimes. And I had grown up as a super perfectionist. I graduated as the valedictorian of my high school. Like I was the quintessential overachiever, type A, et cetera. Started my career on Wall Street, all of that, right? And then it led to me being utterly burned out and miserable and also cultivating relationships that I was miserable in. It just kept feeding the cycle until I finally said, no, this isn't what I'm going to be doing anymore. And obviously that meant switching gears in a lot of different ways. And that meant cutting out people from my life, implementing boundaries for the first time in my life. And that included boundaries between work and rest. And now I have a very keen sense of when I'm feeling overwhelmed, burnt out. And the reality is a lot of stuff can wait to the next day. There's not so many tasks in the world that are currently on fire that you need to address at that exact moment in time. And I think for myself, I have, you know, we talked about blocked periods of time where, you know, in my day to day, I have my schedule of all my aspirational goals of what I want to do in that day. And then I have the things, you know, that can be moved if they need to be. And so I think creating more of a flexible mindset versus so fixed around your work and your boundaries and your wellness and all of that really affords the opportunity to do things in a much better way. Well, I have to ask you a question that relates to all of this because I see that you're quite active on Instagram for one. Like you have a pleasurable, I don't know, I just enjoy what you're doing there. So, I mean, you call out the patriarchy sometimes and you're talking about, you make fun of some of the issues that we face in a way that I find quite charming, but it takes a lot of time and effort to produce those things. And it doesn't necessarily have the payoff that you hope it will. I think we're all told, especially as we launch podcasts like mine and like yours, well, you have to be on Instagram and why aren't you on TikTok? And oh, by the way, Clubhouse and social audio on Wisdom. And oh, but you're not in Twitter spaces. That's where all the NFT and cryptocurrency people are hanging out. I'm like, well, great. I don't do that because guess what? That's bad for the environment. So, you know, I'm trying to live my truth in that way too. So I'm just trying to kind of discover from you what that perspective is as you work to balance how you're reaching people, because it can be in itself 
overwhelming when you say, okay, you're working to be an influencer because you're reaching people and where they live, work or play with the podcast and with what you're doing with Mod Entrepreneur and having to limit in some capacities where you're choosing to be. So I just love for you to share your perspective. Yeah, definitely. So I have had to be selective for sure, because at the inception of my business, I thought I needed to be everywhere, right? The same kind of thought. And I think that what I've learned is if you show up consistently in maybe one or two places, and I guess three, because I would say the podcast is one place to show up consistently, obviously. But then how people access the podcast is through social media channels, right? That's how they're going to find you a lot of the times. So I've filtered down into focusing on Instagram and more so TikTok. And because I feel like that is where the more raw conversations are being had. And so I also utilize, I've become a lot more strategic with my strategy. And, you know, I will post on Instagram and, you know, it's still very much a curated feed. But on TikTok, it's a little more raw where I'm talking to people like how I'm talking to you and they're more receptive to it. And so it's also just understanding where your audience is living Mm -hmm. and focusing in on that because I'd love to expand my YouTube channel. I would love to have a better presence on Twitter, but I honestly use Twitter just to send tweets that I repurpose for Instagram (laughs) because, (laughs) you know, that's a great social media strategy is a lot of people love easy, shareable, relatable content and tweets kind of get the picture, get it done quite quickly. I will say that it is a balancing act still that I probably haven't perfected and I don't know if I will because with creating video content, there's a lot that goes into that, right? Like at first when it was just Instagram, you know, you could pop on Canva, make a cute graphic and that was it. Not that that was it. It takes a lot of effort and work too, not discrediting that at all. Right. But with the kind of shift in how consumers are taking in content, it's a lot by video, right? And it has to be captivating and it has to be either educational, inspirational, or raw and real and short. And, you know, because I think the average like mind span is like nine seconds or something, maybe. Yeah. So it's like 15 seconds or less is like really what you have to shoot for. Mm -hmm. Which is a skill in itself to be able to get your point across in that short amount of time. Because like as human beings, it doesn't leave a lot of room for finessing your thoughts and your perspective and refining. You have to have everything refined and boiled down and that's the product that you release. So I think with TikTok, it can be a little overwhelming because, you know, for growth, they say to post three to five videos a day. And I've just recently become much more consistent with doing exactly that. And it is slowly paying off, right? But when you're waiting sometimes for those numbers to climb, (laughs) it's a little bit like, oh my God, is it going to keep growing? But then you see the growth start to happen and things start to, same with the podcast, right? You launch something, you see just a couple downloads and you're like, oh my gosh. And then you see growth over each month. And it's also like helpful for like inspiring you to keep going, right? Because you're like, wow, this is really, people are 
appreciating this, it's resonating. So it kind of gives you the impetus to like keep going. But yeah, I set the iPhone limits on social media on my phone so that I think I have it set for like an hour or something for the day. I'll say that I probably spend more time on that because I always say like, remind me in 15 minutes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) especially if I'm in the middle of like filming some content and we don't realize how much time that also takes too. But I do try to be cognizant and be like, okay, I've said, remind me in 15 minutes four times. So now I've spent two hours on this platform and, you know, I need to finish it up, (laughs) you know, put a bow on it, wrap it up, put a bow on it, revisit it tomorrow if it's not quite what I was expecting it to be. Or sometimes I'll like take a break and write some things out. Like if something's not quite coming out in the right way, I'm a big writer. I love writing and reading. And sometimes that's how I'll refine my thoughts to then dissect it in a 15 second or even a seven second video on TikTok. Well, I haven't made the jump into TikTok in particular. I keep hearing I need to be there. But the reality is adding one more thing is often just too much. And so where I'm at now is I'm uh, focused on creating great podcasts. I'm focused on getting them out there into the world via my current social media platforms. And we'll see. I mean, if I need to add TikTok later, I might end up just taking some snips from these interviews and putting them up there. That's a possibility too. Yeah, I definitely put those on there too. They're not as high traffic as using the trending sounds. And, you know, there's ways to utilize the algorithm for your benefit, but it's also fickle. Yeah. You have to be careful if you're in business. So I actually had a friend end up in litigation over using some of those uh, trending music because even on their personal feed, because their personal efforts were deemed as relating to the business. And so you have to be extra, extra careful on that front, or you can end up with some incredibly steep licensing fees. Oh, yeah. Copyright issues can be problematic. But I feel like, yeah, I mean, that is something to be of awareness of. (laughs) I don't want to end up in court with Sony. I'm sorry. That's where they are right now. So I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, no. So as we prepare to run into the last stage of our interview here, I like to ask a question of many of my guests, which is simply, if there's a question I haven't asked that you wish I had, what would it be? And if you have one, ask and answer it. And if not, what sort of thoughts would you like to leave our audience with as they go on their day? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is something we've kind of touched on a lot in this interview, and it's kind of gendered ideas around money, but also a mission. And I think that when building a social impact business, you don't have to be a martyr for a mission. And I think that's something that I'm very passionate about because being a martyr means giving up everything in order just for that mission. But I don't think that in today's day and age that that's a requirement of anybody. I really think that you have the ability to build a successful, purposeful life without sacrificing every part of yourself. There are going to be sacrifices here and there, obviously. But I think that's why I'm also so passionate about the monetary side of building a business and what that means for not just sustainable resources that will fund your impact, but for what it means for you as a woman. It gives you choice. It gives you freedom. And when you have choice, you ultimately can make better choices and you can live the life that you've aspired to live. And that in itself 
is emblematic of having an impact, right? Well, that's great. And I wanted to ask you one more question as it relates to social impact in general. Many people have a few favorite charities that they like to shout out or that they might work with in some collaborative way over the course of their careers. I mean, I've collaborated with the Vitamin Angels as a, for example, many times over my career working in supplements and natural foods. I've also worked to fund water projects around the globe. And so because I figure, hey, people need water. Like if you have clean drinking water, that's step one. So these are the sorts of things that I tend to really get behind. I wonder what for you, like what really stokes your fire? What are you working to put into the world and make more impact around when it comes to that kind of more charitable space? Mm -hmm. So I think that is the beauty of the social impact business space, right? Because there is kind of a give back element in one way or another. So I also contribute to water. I think it's a big, (laughs) that's one of my big charitable contributions. And as things kind of rotate through the world, I contribute a lot to a refugee crisis and empowering women there. One of the women that I'm close friends with now and who was the original guest on my podcast has built a company that focuses on employing refugees, specifically female refugees, then giving them job opportunities so that they're able to become empowered. And so the beauty of the people who come on my podcast is I practice what I preach and that I often will buy their products. I don't accept products for free, which I know that, you know, free products, it is what it is. And people love getting free stuff. But just out of principle, I will purchase their products because I know how much it takes to create what they're creating. I will support and subscribe if it's recently I had the founders of Kimberative come on the podcast. And so I subscribe and donate every month to help them run the platform, which is geared towards specifically a space for Black women to be educated and empowered around sexual health and wellness. And so I have so many passions that I kind of diversify (laughs) them all and contribute in, in one way or another. I am always looking on crowdfunding platforms like I Fund Women or I Fund Women of Color for incredible businesses to help crowdfund their missions. And so a lot of where my give back goes to is not only that, but also like I do a lot of local initiatives too, like for soup kitchens, the homeless problem in Los Angeles is a huge problem in California in general. And so oftentimes I will be donating to a lot more local stuff that kind of resonates with the homelessness crisis, children and education um, I'm trying to think of Yeah, we could go on and on, couldn't we? <laughs> I know, I could go I could go on and on, but I really try to put my money where my mouth is and I really try to use my personal funds as a tool for change by supporting the businesses I believe in and for, you know, supporting just the projects that also help alleviate larger systemic issues as well. Well, you're a woman after my heart. The reality too (laughs) is that my first podcast guest was Kara Martinez and Kara Martinez has the not-for-profit Love Without Borders for Refugees in Need. I've known her for years and that's all something that she has architected over the past decade. And now she's got, you know, a TEDx talk that she's done on that particular topic. And I think it would be really powerful if I were to connect her with you for the work that she's doing, but also 
your friend you made in that refugee space, because I think there could be some very interesting collaborations there. Kyra's work is really focused on Aleppo, Greece. So people that have fled from Syria and other war-torn parts of the world and have kind of just ended up there. And what she's working to do is actually help them heal from the trauma that they've experienced through the power of art. And then she works to sell those art pieces on Etsy shop, on her Etsy shop, and also through social media. And then 100% of the funds that are raised from the sale of that art go back to the artist. Much to your point, you know, supporting the businesses and sometimes even the people that you brought on your podcast. So this is something that one of her artists created. I mean, it's just beautiful. And so here it is. I'll read the inscription. The artist was Abdul Hakim. And it says, Abdul Hakim fled Syria with his family and has requested asylum in Greece, where he hopes to offer them a better life than the one thus far. His hope for his children is that they become contributing members of society in a way that benefits the community. Those who know Abdul Hakim call him a gentle soul. He believes that honesty and loyalty are the most important values in life, and he envisions a world filled with love, away from barriers imposed by race, color, or sect. And so I made a donation of $100 for this piece. Gorgeous. And it was called something along the lines of a lost family. And I mean, it was something where I just saw it on the screen and I burst into tears. I mean, as you're reading the inscription, I don't know if you could see, but my eyes are like welling up because I'm like, when we break everything down, everybody is really just trying to build a better life in one way or another. And you know, how we do that is different in our methodologies, but the kind of baseline of our human connection is we are like the majority of humans, I believe are, are good. And we all want to do better and be better. That's right. And so purpose of my podcast, similar to your own. And I think this will not be the end of our collaboration. So let's figure out a way to connect again soon. Yes, I agree. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here, Talia. Now, listeners, it's time for that simple ask. The reality is it's through having conversations like the one that I just explored today with Talia that we all stoke our creative juices. We figure out how we can contribute to the world in a better way, how we can fulfill our own personal missions, how we can care a little bit more and be a little bit better. Together, through collaboration, we can create a better world. We can even create a world in which we don't have to worry about climate change, in which we're able to sustain our populations around the globe with some sort of equal level of access to the basic rights that we should all enjoy, like water to drink, a shelter over our heads, and just security that from one day to the next, we won't be subject to a war-torn world. I know we have a long way to come. But you know what? We can and we will together. Thank you, listeners, now and always, for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can be so much more. We can care more and we can be better. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.